1: Not all that glitters is gold. Half the story has never been told.
2: Because righteousness governed the world.
1: Come take a musical journey from the suburbs of Long Island to the ghettos of Kingston. A heartbreaking overdose. A disturbing discovery. The last chance to redeem a stolen legacy. Broadcasting live and direct from the rolling red hills on the outskirts of Kingston, Jamaica from a magical place at the intersection of words, sound, and power. The red light is on. Your dial is set. The frequency in tune to the Rootsland podcast. Stories that are music to your ears.
0: In the reggae anthem get-up stand-up, the whalers sing, not all that glitters is gold. Half the story has never been told. My friend Brian always dreamed he could make the world a better place. Maybe by me telling his story,
1: he still can. Consequence Podcast Network presents Rootsland, Season 1, Reggae Junkie Joe. Whole
0: barrage of
2: righteous people out there.
0: Because sometimes the story is the best song. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, and then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcast and, you know, everywhere else in uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimal listenership on that it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place so go ahead download the free anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started so what are you waiting for podcast stardom is within your reach do you read stephen king good news there's a club for you the losers club every friday us losers journey through the never-ending wastelands of king's dominion We sink our teeth into each of King's novels, dive deep into the lore, and review every adaptation. Even better, we're always having guests over. Thomas Jane, Will Wheaton, Mary Lambert, Mick Garris, the list goes on. So what are you waiting for? Join us as we read on through long days and pleasant nights. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with the interview series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org. Consequence of Sound and the Consequence Podcast Network. Hey, thanks so much for uh, making your way here, checking out this, uh, this series and this episode. Hopefully you like what you hear enough to hit the subscribe button. I put out three new interviews every single week, a brand new one every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So it's a great way to keep up with all of your favorite artists, discover some new ones, know what's happening in the music world. And, of course, you can subscribe uh, at all the usual spots like uh, Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Acast, even YouTube if you want to watch the video versions that we've got here. I'm Kyle Meredith. Today, my guest, Junkie XL. I am so excited to be talking with Thomas here because he has a lot of scores that he's been doing lately. In fact, uh, the one, uh, the, the main discussion, Zack Snyder's Justice League. If you followed the whole story of this, uh, Zack Snyder was originally on the uh, Justice League movie. Then he was off. There was sort of a new version that didn't do well. It didn't perform well at all. to box office, a lot of fans disappointed at it. In fact, uh, the canon that's picked up uh, beyond that, with Wonder Woman and Aquaman. They don't even pay attention to that version of uh, Justice League. They pay attention to Zack Snyder's. And now we have a brand new four hour version. They gave the control back to Zack and he once again uh, tapped uh, Thomas Holkenborg, who we know as Junkie XL to do the score. All new music. That's what Thomas tells us. There's no used music from the, uh, the version that they were working on back in 2016. And this is what he calls his Mount Everest of scores. One, because it is a four-hour version of the DC film. So Thomas is going to talk about the intensity of the music that he wrote uh, that was composed in isolation because of the pandemic, how that's reflected in the film. it It is intense. He says way more intense. Uh, there's a lot of genre hopping that he wanted to make sure uh, was still seamless within the transition. We also talk about his uh, admiration of classical music and especially choirs uh, that uh, can, can offer a very scary, creepy vibe in moments where it really really needs it. Uh, Thomas goes on to talk about the uh, character themes that bled over from Batman versus Superman and Wonder Woman as well as Batman's evolution and how it's heard from then to now as well as the advice that he had gotten from uh, his friend composer Hans Zimmer. Further on we're also going to get into his scores for the upcoming Godzilla versus Kong that finds him looking back at the uh, 30s and 40s uh, as well as to John Carpenter. There's a nice interesting blending there and his score of Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead that comes out a little bit later on this year that he says is going to be much more electronic-driven. So let's do this. I'm so excited. It's Kyle Meredith with Junkie XL. Hey, Kyle. You, as always, have a lot going on, and uh, we're going to try to talk about a few of those. But, of course, uh, front and center right now, we're talking about uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League, this new cut, the original what idea that he had in mind for this. And for anybody that doesn't know the story, I'm sure you can tell it more detail, but uh, he was on board, he was doing Justice League, then he was off the project, there was a new version that was sort of the Frankenstein version, and now this is... Do you call it the director's cut?
2: Um, it, 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 it's really like uh Zack Snyder cut, uh, because uh, he's fully in control at this point. And uh, it, it's, it's very great to see. I'm so happy for him uh, that this happened, uh, and... I'm also happy for myself because uh, you know I also felt you know disappointed that what I started was not able to um, uh, to come out and um, that he was able to do it and I was able to do it with him again with a whole new fresh approach uh, to it and mind you, uh, a movie that is two and a half hours longer than the original one ever was. So uh, I'm very excited.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna do it, you make it count, a four hour movie as we're all looking forward to here. So what for you, you you were on the original score before it all got taken away. Did anything survive from that? Is this all brand new? Because this is a mountain of music.
2: Yes, everything is new. Um, and I'll tell you, uh, there, there are two reasons primarily, one, was that um, I listened back to what I did and I remember when I started playing back some of the things that I did and back in the day, I was like 50% in, 55% um, doing this. I listened to it and immediately that negative feeling from that whole time period, uh, what, what happens just also came back and I was like, oh, I don't want this for something that feels so great to now finally do. It, it was one trigger to consider to start over. The second one was that since I worked with him, I worked with so many great uh, directors and on really great films, uh, including in collaboration with Peter Jackson, with Robert Rodriguez and James Cameron, uh, with um, uh, George Miller, with Tim Miller. And I really felt that I learned so much. And then on top of what I just said, looking back, it's like, oh, I would approach this completely different right now uh, with all the experience that I have. So I decided to start over and I mentioned this to Jacques and he said, oh, by all means, I'm not married to anything that we did in 2016. He said, in fact, I'm going to throw in a bunch of uh, different ideas myself. And so he really egged me on uh, and also to take it to the, the furthest levels uh, that I potentially could take the score, you know, from as classical as you can get to as modern and aggressive as you can get, as out there as you can get experimental-wise. And that's where my Mount Everest started, you know? Um, smack middle in, uh, in uh, the, the new COVID world, working in isolation on my own and climbing this insane mountain of deliver so much music within a, a time span of uh, eight months. And it definitely resulted in a way more intense score than i ever anticipated in 2016
0: the you hear artists talk about you know records that they would like to redo from their past or whatever and and unfortunately most of the time when they do it you know it's cuz some artists do they'll they'll reimagine you know old classic records or whatever but of course as the audience we have basically what ends up being demoitis. you know we're still attached to that first version that we heard so it's a weird relationship you sort of benefit in this way that you got to do that you got to go back and say oh if i i would do that different it's just that we didn't hear the original version so we're not attached to anything like that i mean that's kind of an interesting way of working i guess
2: definitely but on top of that i wasn't done so uh if the if the score was completely done signed off recorded mixed and everything okay potentially it would be a different ball game and then we could still say you know what i'm going to start over but I'm gonna, I'm gonna potentially release, you know, what was done in 2016. But uh, I simply wasn't done. And when I say I was 50% in, it doesn't mean 50% of the movie was completely done, and the other half I still needed to start. It was all like under construction, you know, throughout. So I potentially would not release it like like that because it would f- really feel like demo in a, in an old rendition. Other other than that, how you started this question, I would never redo something that I did in the past. I'd rather start something new. I I never consider something that I do like, oh, you know, that was my masterpiece or that is the thing that I was so unique that uh, I'm just gonna take that again, make some changes to it, to make it between brackets perfect, which simply doesn't exist in, in the creative world. Uh, There's this famous saying, um, you're never done with a piece of art, you just abandon it, you know, and uh, and that's how I feel. It's like, okay, learned that, did that. Um, But for instance, if we look at some of my uh, more uh, iconic scores, like for instance, Fury Road, Mad Max, would I in hindsight with the knowledge that I have now do certain things different in 2014? Yes, of course. But it doesn't mean I have to redo it now. It's like, it's done. Let's let's think ahead, you know?
0: So as you're moving ahead, when, when you went into this, you've already said that, you know, you call this the, the, the Mount Everest and everything and, and encapsulating so many different genres, which you do over this humongous score. But was there a vision of what you wanted it to sound like musically? I mean, yes, there's a lot of genres, but what brings it all together? What is that sound that you were going for?
2: In the in this new version that we're talking about? In the new version, yeah. Well, I thought it was important that uh, the through line is their production technically, uh, the way that I approach orchestral sounds and modern sounds and rock sounds and hip-hop sounds, so it felt like one through line. On the other hand, don't switch hearts from one thing into another, like going through 10 different radio stations. It's like, oh, radio station A is only classical music. Radio station B is like R&B modern and uh, C is only trap and D is only trance music. And this is only that. So it feels like all the time. I wanted it to blend over in, in, in each other, like almost like a handoff. And so uh, when a fuller Kessel piece would then end up being a rock piece, things would start to seep in towards the end of that orchestral cue. So by the time you go to, to a rock piece, it's not like, what happened here? You know, it's like, it's a handoff into it. And so that took quite some time to shape that right, but it worked out and I'm very pleased with, uh, with the result. And, and the thing that blends it also together is that I did most, except for the, the orchestral elements, all the other instruments I played primarily by myself. And so you have like a a certain approach to things because you can't simply, you can't help yourself, you know, just like I'm Tom, you know? Uh, If you play in a band, yeah, the drummer has a unique way of drumming and the guitar player is a unique way of guitar playing. But my guitar playing is somewhat similar to how I play drums. And it's somewhat similar how I uh, bang on, uh, other materials to record or play with my synthesizers. I mean, if you look around here, the, the room is packed with, with all kinds of instruments. And so that's why I call myself a full contact composer. You know, I want to be in touch with these things, which automatically what you do were results in like a certain style and a certain approach.
0: You talk about working on it solo. I mean, because of the quarantine, because of the pandemic, is this like the most, do you usually work like this or is this really the most solo that you've done, you know, for a a piece like this?
2: I would say this is, uh, together with a few other movies, um, this is really like a solo affair. Of course, I used assistants to make stems to help out with conforms, you know, when the picture comes back and there's like a minute and a half gone to glue everything together. The amount of, hours of music that needed to be delivered was just like so steep in the limited amount of time that was there so I wanted to I wanted to focus on just writing new music new music new music and just attacking scene by scene that I wanted to attack but obviously I had help but it was um, done in a completely different setup uh, than ever done before because normally we work in this uh, studio house with like a couple of assistants and we have lunch together and we have dinner together, coffee in the morning. I walk from, from room to room. They sit with me. They hear what I'm doing. And so that was simply not happening. And that made it uh, so uh, so intense to, to, to work on it. But also eye-opening at the same time. And I will not be the first one to say how COVID was a curse and a blessing at the same time, you know? Um, people are so damn creative, you know, to find, like, new ways to do things that didn't deemed possible before. And so this happens in my own microcosmos as well. You can
0: hear that intensity. You really can on these, uh, especially the first few singles that you dropped in there. I mean, um, you know, of course it is dark. Uh, I I wrote down at one point, I was like, you know the power of a choir to be scary as fuck. (laughs) (laughs) You know, to be really, creepy in there and and those are choices right i mean at some point you you say what does this need does this need a center does this need that especially the choir like like why do you use those picks because those that's a specific mood
2: very specific and and um this was the perfect movie to do it uh, i mean i've always been a big fan of um but, oh, let's put a different the way the word that i picked earlier in the show like deep admiration, you know, for for certain music styles, like uh, classical music is one of them, and for orchestral music, primarily 1880 to 1930. You know what what happened in that time period was so groundbreaking and so pushing the limits. But then, in the 50s, 60s, and 70s and 80s, we had all these composers like Arvo Pärt and Ligeti who were really like pushing what you could do with choir music. You know, and that's where that microtonal detuning and and just like it's it, and it's like they start singing and it's like man when are the wheels coming off and you know and it's so uh it's so intense so when you hear that like in a church or uh, in a big recording studio it's so scary human voices can be so scary it's incredible
0: I think that speaks for a much bigger conversation when you just say human voices can be so scary. (laughs) That says a lot more than I think you were meaning it to right then, actually.
2: (laughs) It's the two of us in this podcast. That's right. So,
0: you know, getting into, I don't know if you work like this, but, you know, usually with with a lot of scores that I'm familiar with, um, characters will have themes. You'll have character themes, you know, the music that always comes up when you're, you know, going towards that one. What do you look for? What did you look for specifically on this one to um, you know to, to bring those characters into their own musical moments?
2: Well, first I want I want to point out that um, two themes have a bleed over quality from what Hans and I set out to do in Batman versus Superman. So there's Superman material that is bleeding over in this movie and the Wonder Woman theme is bleeding over in this movie. But a completely different take on it. But it is the same material. It also made sense because this Justice League movie is the third in a row of Zack Snyder. So there's like certain things that bleed over. For Batman, I did a whole new thing for this movie. And I'll tell you why. Um, the focus in Batman versus Superman of Batman music was really his troubled past. And his his the, the loss of his parents and how he dealt with that in that movie while dealing with a bunch of other things in this movie that chapter is closed because it is well depicted in batman versus superman same as certain aspects of superman that have been well portrayed in man of steel then continued storytelling in batman versus superman there are certain things there that we don't need to say again also musically um so those Two themes bled over from uh, the previous movies, but not Batman. Because in this movie, we know what happened to him because of Batman versus Superman. In this movie, he's a he has dealt with that and he moves forward. And so it, it made it possible to have a new approach for him, musically speaking. So he has a very distinctive uh, theme in this one. Steppenwolf is, is uh, the bad uh, character, if you will, together with uh, Darkseid and uh, the Mother Boxes. And that is a whole new theme that is very intense. And that's primarily where that uh, choir comes in that we, just, uh, t- that we just talked about. So he has a very distinctive sound and, and theme. Cyborg has also a very distinctive theme uh, throughout the movie, as does Aquaman uh, throughout the movie, And then of course, the most important theme I would say is the Justice League theme uh, of which crew at Warpower is like a sample of what that tastes like for the rest of the movie. So it it comes back in various different forms uh, throughout the movie. And obviously uh, the reason why that track is called uh, Crew at Warpower is because, you know, it plays when the crew are at Warpower, you know, when they're kicking ass all together. So.
0: it's it's such an interesting way to write being able to use, you know, you already sort of know a sound that you've got to put in a song right there. It makes me think of like, even in rock lyrics, you know, um, Springsteen would use the same, you know, female name over and you have a lot of that, a lot of artists that do that. It seems like that. I don't know. Do you think that makes it easier or harder when you're approaching a song? If you already know, well, it's got to have, you know, this structure, these chords, these notes, this riff, whatever.
2: Well, Hans said to me something very interesting at a certain point when uh, when, uh, when we talked. Obviously, we collaborated, uh, collaborated together pretty intensely for two and a half years or so when, uh, when I was at his studio. But also, we maintained really good friends. And uh, I even talked to him two days ago about like some new synth that we both want. And he said to me once um, that, and, and in a way it's true, Uh, that every composer every artist every painter every architect builds or makes you know up to 10 different things in his life all the other things fall under one of the pillars family of what you've built before but you're enhancing it uh, because you have a certain style Uh, like that's why you immediately recognize Coldplay, that's why you immediately recognize U2, that's why you immediately recognize Radiohead, and so that makes it very strong, and so in the composing world, there's something very similar, is that people recognize something that I do, because I have a distinctive style and a distinctive approach, people recognize Hans, because he has a very distinctive style, and so people also recognize John Williams, because he has a distinctive style, and that makes the landscape of composers so colorful, you know, because uh, who wants to be 100% John Williams and the next day, 100% Danny Alfman and the next day, 100% Tom Holkenberg or, or Hans Zimmer, you know, it's, uh, that's no fun. It, it's fun to create an identity that you're recognizable with. So you know what you can do, you know what your parameters are and you know what you want to learn, where, where the open landscape is, where you want to discover new things. And that combines with an artistic vision of what you want to do with the film. And then when you see the film to, mix it, to, to check out if that still holds up, what, what you were thinking about, that creates, uh, to a certain extent, something that makes it a little easier to attack a massive uh, mountain like this. But like real mountaineering, you still need to walk to the top and you know, make sure you come down safe.
0: It seems like it also gives you a lot of um, opportunities, like uh, especially, you know, in these DC movies, Easter eggs is a big part of the deal, you know, and, and and musically, do you find that you can put those sort of things in there? I mean, themes take care of that to a point, but, but uh, do you, do you uh, take those opportunities to drop in little musical secrets as well?
2: Not necessarily a secret, but uh, to speak to people's imagination what potentially this could mean. I mean, it's so funny with the two singles that you mentioned earlier that were uh, released. If you read the comments what people uh, leave uh, leave behind, you know, each uh, DC fan has their own imagination what this absolutely must be. You, you notice like people describe when they see the crew at War Powers, like this is when Batman does this and this and this, and this is the moment where Wonder Woman does that and that. So, it's it's interesting to see that necessarily without intention directly is the way that music can speak to the imagination of uh, people, what supposedly is to happen uh, at some sports. And uh, I find that very great to see.
0: Well, I want to quickly hit on a few of the other things you got coming up. Uh, of course, the Zack Snyder's Justice League isn't the only one. We've also got Godzilla versus Kong uh, that, that's coming out. What did you want to do this one? Because this is, this is a different, very different sounding kind of score here.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Every movie, obviously, is different, and uh, I remember talking to Zach and uh, about Army of the Dead, and I said, "Zach, I come off like a, a bunch of like orchestral-heavy movies. Do you mind if we do this fully electronic?" He's like, "Oh, yes, I, you know, I hope you would say that, you know." And so that's really great, and um, and 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 can God Godzilla is also very unique. Animal, no pun intended. What what the score became for that, I mean, I um, I met the director, Adam is a really great guy, very talented. He's a massive Elvis fan, so that created a connection right away because I remixed in 2002 a little less conversation, um, the Elvis song. And we're both uh, Godzilla fans. I mean, I have all the 36 movies and I know them inside out. I can quote most of the dialogue even for you. And so um, it's... Um, it was a very interesting approach to that movie because he said to me, I want to honor the classic monster scores from the 30s, 40s, 50s. And at the same time, I want a lot of John Carpenter-style synthesizer music in there. And I said, okay, uh, let me see what I can do. <laughs> and so that was a very interesting process as well. And and, and we, we pull it off. It has... Um, Uh, great old monster-type parts, but then it's infused with these uh, 80s uh, synthesizers that work remarkably well in in a movie like that. And then for Kong, there's so many more emotional uh, scenes where the music is very, like, world music almost, you know, Pacific marimbas um, with, like, a a beautiful stone flute that is playing his, like, lyrical melody and... uh, It's great to work with all these colors, you know, in one movie. Uh, So that movie, for me, has the same special elements as Justice League, whereas it's a completely different area of taking things from the past and just combining them into, like, something completely new, you know? Uh, So it's really great. And Army of the Dead is uh, primarily a sound design score that leans very heavy on the emotional side of things instead of, like... uh, just the horror things. And by the way, that movie is so different than what you would expect. And I'm not going to say anything. I want everybody to have that, what? Uh, <laughs> it is like what I had when I saw it for the first time. It's it's brilliantly executed.
0: You know, what you do, it's so much fun to listen to. And the way you talk about the mu- music, the way you talk about what you do and how it affects the characters, like. Thinking about you know the depth of Kong's uh, emotions versus what Godzilla might be, you know, hearing what we might get from Army of the Dead. I mean, you make it so much fun to check out. So I appreciate what you do. (laughs) Thank you so much for doing it, man. It's it's so cool to talk to you about all of this.
2: Well, you know, I have to say that uh, every day when I wake up, I sit outside. Not this morning because it's raining, but I sit outside and I have a coffee when the sun comes up, and I'm just thinking by myself. You are happy you know you're a happy guy you know that you can do this and and basically with so much passion i can work on all these things with the smartest people in the room with with uh talented people with people with crazy ideas it, it's it's such, it's so great
0: well thomas uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about that all again uh we're talking about army of the dead we're talking about the Uh, Godzilla and Kong, we are especially talking about Zack Snyder's Justice League and the four hour (laughs) movie and all the score that comes along with it. Uh, Congratulations on all this, but uh, thanks so much for the conversation today.
2: Thank you so much, man. It was a pleasure to be with you.
0: Bye, guy. My thanks to Thomas Junkie XL and the score to Zack Snyder's Justice League. Thanks to you again for checking out this episode and series. Please do hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Uh, new interviews uh, three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so you can keep up with all of your favorite artists. And again, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, ACAST, and there is a YouTube video version of this interview as well over at YouTube where we've got the series there. Two, And then head over to WFPK.org. That's where I do a show Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern. It's a really fun hour of music. It's new music, anniversaries, music news, bonus interviews, really fun themes, Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern at WFPK.org consequence of sound has your music and film news you can also find me on the social media spots uh facebook instagram and twitter all three of them at kyle meredith and then there's also tiktok which kyle meredith 81 uh please like and follow along and make sure you say hi when you do that does it for another edition i'm kyle meredith i'll see you next time